So we're filling up a bit here. This is good. Welcome back to any of you that are back with us for the recent time. And uh, saw a few visitors coming in. Welcome you also. <coughs> Today we're talking about transformation. And, and for now, this is going to be the end of our uh, six-month series here. So uh, we have to figure out where we go after this. We've been talking about transformation as we go back to Romans chapter 14 today. Let's, uh, let's pray together, shall we? Our Father, before our Savior left this world, he reminded his disciples that your word is truth. And in a day when we are surrounded by so many lies, help us to grasp your truth, not just what it meant, but what it means for us today. Grant us help this morning as we look at this important section uh, in Romans that it might come alive for us, and that we would indeed be transformed by your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we've had this long discussion of transformation, and, and much of it, most of it, was focused on what we might say is individual transformation. In other words, it's, it's your hearing of the word of God, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, opening your life that you might become more Christ-like. That's the basic notion. But the last few weeks, uh, we've turned our attention a bit and we've said, you know, it's not just an issue of individual transformation, but, but transformation also takes place in corporate settings. And in fact, there is a need for congregations to be in a process of transformation as well. So we looked at uh, that final prayer of Jesus where he prayed that his followers might be one in the same way that the Father and the Son are one together. He said, may they, these disciples, also be in us and may they be one together. And then he added this important purpose phrase, with the result or with the purpose that the world would know that you have sent me. So this is a striking thing, that, that our Lord says the world has, if you will, a right to judge the authenticity of the message based on the way that you and I live together. See, when we're concerned about mission, it's, it's not at all a simple question of let's get some tracts or let's, let's preach the message. Jesus is saying that mission is tied to the way we live together. That, I think that's very clear in, in John 17. So that led us into this 
little discussion we've been having, see, about corporate formation, congregational formation. And last week we began looking at Romans 14 and 15, where Paul takes a major section of Romans. Romans is only how many chapters? 16, you would have gotten down, sure. And, and of those 16 chapters, two of them are devoted to this question of what he calls disputable matters. So one-eighth of a book as important as Romans is devoted to this very question that we're thinking about. How are believers to be one together in the body of Christ? So we looked at the first verses of Romans 14, and we talked about some rules of engagement that Paul just repeats numerous times all the way through down into chapter 15, as we'll see today, and it's this basic rule of accepting one another. Accepting one another, he says, in the way that God has accepted you. Not not because you have all the right answers, but because God is gracious and he welcomes us into his house. And we saw, among other things, that what, what that does is it allows for God's people to experience welcome even though they have divergent opinions and uh, convictions, conclusions. They're welcome. And I don't just mean that they're welcome from God's standpoint. You say, well, of course they are. They're to be welcome from our standpoint. And one of the ways that that comes about is that we decide as individuals and members of the congregation, we're going to let God be God. And that's, that's a tight way to get at this notion that Paul repeats both in chapter 14 and in 15, that all of us get our day in court. <laughs> all of us will stand before God's judgment throne and will give an account of our stewardship. And Paul says, so these, these issues where people have difference, let it go. Live in harmony because God will sort things out correctly in the end. You know, he has that question, who are you to judge another man's servant? So we need to take that seriously. Because in the household of God, there's a lot of judgment going on that shouldn't be going on. All right, so that's where we, we got last week. Now, today, we're going to pick up in, in chapter 14, at verse 13, and I want to think with you about kingdom culture. We haven't talked about kingdom for a little while, but, but it's very important here. In fact, you know, in all of Paul's 13 letters, if my recollection is right, he uses the term kingdom or kingdom of God only about 12 or 13 times. 
in 13 letters. But one of the places where he uses it is right here. And so Paul thinks that kingdom is an important idea when we talk about these issues of unity and disputes among believers. So follow along. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I'm convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. Now here's the the key verse, see? For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It's better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So, whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. Well, there are a bunch of details in here that we're not going to be able to pick up today. So, I want to try to stay at the you know, the 30,000-foot level here and see if we can make some sense out of this. So here's the first principle in this section we're looking at. Think kingdom, right? Paul says the stuff you're worried about, it's not kingdom. Think kingdom. And, of course, act kingdom. But you've got to start thinking that way first. The kingdom... Paul says the kingdom is about certain priorities, righteousness, joy, peace. Peace, I think, picks up the notion particularly of harmony, right? Because that's so much in this context. And joy is the delight in God, but it's also the delight in being together as the people of God. And righteousness probably takes on the the idea particularly not just of right living, but right relating to each other. Those are the priorities of the kingdom. The difficulty with the kinds of questions that were arising in the, the Roman church is that they didn't contribute to those priorities. They're debating over food. Is it right to eat meat, which may have been part of idolatrous worship? Is it right to do that? Yes, of course it is. We're free in Christ. No, it isn't. Can't have any part with idolatry. That's the way it goes, right? And uh, 
doesn't contribute to righteousness, joy, peace, or holy days. We don't know quite what they were. They may have been uh, Jewish feast days. It may have been a Jew-Gentile problem again. We're not sure. But what we can be sure of is this, that either of those questions and those debates miss the point. Isn't that a great little diagram? Lois, I know you don't like my diagrams. You told me that, but I like this one. This one's good, right? Okay, thank you. We can be one on that, right? Yes, you miss the point. <laughs> that's, that's the trouble with these debates, huh? Okay, but what does this have to do with us? I mean, after all, is anybody particularly upset about holy days? Is, is anybody going to get bent out of shape if I eat a hamburger or offer you one? No, no. So that means that one-eighth of the book of Romans, waste, it's a waste of time, right? <laughs> I mean, this is cool. We're past all that. Well, but remember, I lived half, more than half of my life in the 20th century. So I, I remember the days when everybody, all our churches, read from the King James Version. And I remember when the New Living Bible came out, or the Living Bible, not the new one, the old Living Bible. And the New American Standard Version was published. And I remember the debates that went on around that. Was it reverential? Was it respectful to God to use a version that addressed God as you? rather than, come on, you know this, don't you? Rather than thee or thou, yes, yes. Thee is the plural. Oh, yeah. I've got a niece who uh, just got married, moved to another part of the country. She and her husband started going to church where the pastor is still preaching about that question. You missed the point, right? Well, how about, let's get a little closer. Maybe, according to my sources, maybe even close to Grace Bible and its history. What about the worship wars? People left the church over worship wars, right? Here, I think, yeah, and, and certainly other places. 
The kingdom of God is not hymns or praise music. It's righteousness and joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. All right. Well, let's really jump into the deep end and let's talk let's talk about what I think may be the biggest illustration of the challenge of Romans 14 and 15 in our day. Uh, one way that uh, I encountered this actually was just this week. I saw an article on the uh, uh, Gospel Coalition website. Some of you know that site. Uh, it has some useful articles. Eugene Park did an article. The exact title, I don't quite recall, but the essence of the title was a question is your church in a bubble? And, uh, and what he's talking about when he talks about a bubble is an ideological bubble. An ideological bubble is where everybody in the bubble talks the same way, thinks the same way. And Park says this, this is a problem. He didn't say it was a problem for Grace Bible Church. He said it's a problem I see in the church. And he starts off his article with a quotation from Michael Horton, who is a professor of theology at Westminster Seminary West. And Horton is, even when you disagree with him, he is clearly one of the sharper blades in the evangelical toolbox. You get what I mean? I mean, he's, he's a bright guy. Here's what he says. He says, our churches, he's talking about evangelical churches, our churches right now look like Fox and CNN. You can tell when you walk into a Fox church or a CNN church. Why? Because he says the ideology, not the gospel, is the priority. How do you know it's ideology? Well, because you can raise all kinds of current debate issues that are going around in our culture, and if you find out what a person believes on one of those issues, you, in an ideological bubble, you can tell, you can predict what they're going to say on all those other issues. That's, ide that's how ideology works. And the problem is that we live in a world that is largely governed by ideologies. The, the ideology of the left and the ideology of the right. And that's why Horton says he talks about Fox churches and CNN churches, saying that the churches, if they're not careful, they develop a culture, which we might say is a culture of the left or a culture of the right. 
Now, what he's talking about is, is something that I actually tried to get at a little bit a couple weeks ago. So maybe you'll remember this diagram. The kingdom and the kingdoms. The kingdom of God, that's, that's our target, friends. It's when we're living in the kingdom of God, in mutual righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. It's when we're living there that the mission of the church has power. Because the world looks on and says, that's different from what I've experienced and what I see around me. There's something unique about this community. Jesus says the world will know. Just as Michael Horton says, if you go into a CNN church, you know it. If you go into a Fox church, you know it. The goal is to be neither one. So we... We had this diagram, right? That we acknowledge that the liberal, the progressive wing of our country has certain concerns that may overlap with the kingdom of God. But certainly not totally. That's, that's why a CNN church cannot be equated with the kingdom of God. But on the conservative side, there's also some things that overlap with the kingdom of God, but not in entirety. So if, if you're concerned about the kingdom, then we have to say, well, we, you know, we, we can't be a, a fox church either. Add to that that if, if we are one or the other, and from the way... Uh, you know, from the way evangelicals voted, according to the reports we get, uh, about 20% of them would be comfortable in a CNN church and about 80% in a Fox church. But when, when we're on that level, here's the problem. We get sucked into a dynamic of relating to one another, which is marked by fear, because when you're in your ideological bubble, everybody outside the bubble is the enemy. I mean, what do we call it? We, we even have a term for it. Culture what? Wars. Language is important, friends. Culture wars. And so there's fear, there's anger, there's contempt. And it goes both ways. I don't, uh, I don't have a, uh, a television. I don't, well, we, we got an old television, but we don't have an aerial that works, so that doesn't help you a whole lot. Uh, so I don't, watch, I don't watch that. But I go to Planet Fitness, and you know, I've got the big screen, so I, I see some of the the news. And it doesn't matter which side it's coming from, the, these, these are the things that market fear, anger, contempt. 
What Paul is calling us to, what Jesus is calling us to, friends, is a different sphere of operation. It's the sphere of the kingdom. Notice the contrast. Fear, anger, contempt, righteousness, joy, and peace. They're miles apart. And too many Christians, and, and I would add too many congregations... Are, are down below there. Now, s- some people want that. I mean, because they've equated a particular style of church with per- particular political commitments, they've equated that in their mind with the kingdom. I mean, I think that's what happens. So, Somebody left our church relatively recently in the course of this past election craziness and said, uh, he said, I don't have anything against you guys, but I want to be in a church that preaches about the issues. Okay. That What's, what is he saying in light of this diagram? He's saying, in this case, uh, I want a fox church. Now, friends, there's, uh, there's plenty of fox churches around. There's a smaller number of CNN churches. I think... I think Horton is right that we're called to something better. And that's why, that's why I've told you before that I basically avoid preaching on politics. That's the theological rationale for me to do it. It's not that I don't have opinions in some of those areas. But those are matters of judgment where I think Christians should be able to disagree. I'm not sure we're at the point yet where we can disagree. So it might be that an interim move is we just don't talk about those issues. But that actually, in my mind, is an an interim move. The real move is to move into the kingdom of God and to be able to speak the truth to one another in love and wrestle with some of these important social questions. That would be healthy, right? But I'm not sure we're in a position of enough health yet. I'm not sure we've become sufficiently kingdom people that we can talk about the other kingdoms without blowing each other up. So, that's, that's maybe a help to you as to how I read these texts. I think they're amazingly powerful and meaningful. All right, let's go ahead then and pick up a little bit in chapter 15. So the first principle is think kingdom, right? Chapter 15, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. 
For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, even Romans 14, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Now, here's, here's the key statement, I think, for this chapter 15. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. So, if the first principle in this extended section is to think kingdom, the second principle is they were to model Jesus in our lives. Paul makes that point uh, a couple times over here. The same acceptance that Jesus gave to us. He invites us into his kingdom, and he doesn't say, uh, you know, you got this, uh, you need to work out this CRT question before you can really be part of the kingdom. We've got to get that straightened out. Well, <clears throat> that's not how he acts. Think about it for a moment. Think about those 12 guys that he called after a night of prayer to be his disciples, to initiate his program, his kingdom program, to save the world. Now, you would think, would you not think, that if you're going to do that and it's going to depend on these 12 guys, that at the very least you're going to vet them that their political views are the same. I mean, they're going to blow the place up otherwise. What kind of a plan is this? What kind of a plan is it to call a Simon Zelotes? Simon the Zealot. Probably a political revolutionary of the right. And at the same time, I mean, what was he praying for all night? He calls a Matthew who works for the enemy. And is probably in this group as far left as any of them. What is he thinking? He's thinking kingdom, friends. He's thinking kingdom. And he's acting kingdom. Because he knows that all other kingdoms... All other kingdoms are going to fail. But his kingdom will triumph. And it will somehow, in an extraordinary way, bring to people who are diverse and different in race, in language, in culture, in politics. Yeah, that's the power of his cross and resurrection. 
And, and if that power has not impacted the way we live together as a congregation, then we've not understood the gospel yet. So we model Jesus. We accept one another. In spite of these differences that we often feel strongly about, And we do that because we've been called into the mission of God. In other words, we do that not just for ourselves, although it is good for us, and not just to bring glory to God, although Paul mentions that there, but we also do it for the good of the world. The world which knows all about partisanship and anger and fear and contempt. And we follow the one who said, Fear not. I am with you. And as I have loved you, you ought also to love one another. So here's the question as we wrap up. What kind of community do, (laughs) misprint there, do we desire to be? CNN community? A Fox community? A kingdom community? We have a choice in our day, just like the believers in Rome had 2,000 years ago. What do we desire to be? Well, this morning is Communion Sunday. Jack's going to come up and lead us in communion. But, uh, but as we move into that, let's remind ourselves that communion is, among other things, what we might call the sacrament of our unity. It's very clear in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 where Paul says, uh, since we are since we have one loaf. Now, I know this crazy little thing you're carrying uh, doesn't look like one loaf, but, but that's the symbolism supposedly there, see, that we're all participating in one unleavened loaf of bread. And Paul says, since we all partake of that one loaf, that means we're one body together. That's, that's part of what we symbolize. We take of the body of Christ received, and that makes us one body together. That's this kingdom vision. Huh? So as, as we eat together, this is great to do communion and to remind ourselves that in Jesus, we're learning how to be one. The Simons and the Matthews and everybody in between. And yes, it is hard, but it's good, and it's right. Jack, 